We are, we're continuing in the story of Jonah. And, and to start, I just, I need to acknowledge that there is, there are few things in life that are more like soul-wrenching than a story that does not resolve itself. Okay, a story that does not end well is not a good story. It's, it's hard to watch or hear or read a story that doesn't have a good ending and feel good at the end of it, right? In movies, um, maybe, maybe some of you have seen Infinity War this summer, and for whatever reason, you didn't like the ending. Um, and if you smiled, you watched Infinity War. Um, but, and if you didn't, then you don't get why I snapped. But um, some people really, really didn't like the ending of Infinity War. Uh, if you go a few years back, the movie Inception, um, there, there is a top that is spun in the movie, and it's really, really important to the plot and, and to the story of the main character, and, and we need to know if that top keeps spinning or if it falls over. And the movie ends while the top is spinning, and we don't know if it ever falls. And, and we're left with this unresolved moment, and it, it is nails on the chalkboard of your soul. If you go back even further, there, there's this movie Titanic that happened, right, 20 years ago, and, and there was this moment that played out at the end where, where Jack and Rose were floating on a door, and, and really, there was room for two. Okay, like it's, it's, been, it's been proven, Mythbusters even said they could have put some life jackets underneath the door, and they would have floated. Okay, that... Jack did not need to die. He didn't need to float, and, and he would not have floated down, or he wouldn't have sunk down to the bottom of the ocean, right? Like, that's not how physics worked. Okay, so anyway, stories that don't end well. No, real quick, Rose, she could have taken that giant diamond at the end of the movie. She could have started a scholarship and funded thousands of Jacks rising out of his social situation, but no, she just dumps it in the ocean. Okay, horrible ending. Anyway, I'm not bitter about it. Um, <laughs> Stories without good endings. They're bad stories. And Jonah is one of those stories. Okay, we, we've been looking at the life of Jonah the prophet, and it's this, this little story. It's four chapters long in the Old Testament. And, and we've called this series Just the Worst because Jonah is just the worst. As prophets go, they don't get worse, okay? The story of Jonah up to this point, the first three chapters, he is a prophet whose job is say what God says, to the people he tells you to say it, okay? He hears a message from God, go to Nineveh, tell them that they are not doing well, things are not going to end well for them, and he goes the exact opposite direction from Nineveh. A massive storm comes up supernaturally to bring judgment on Jonah while he's on a boat running away from God. The sailors throw him overboard. Instead of immediately dying, he is swallowed up by a fish he prays inside that fish. He starts to, we think he's got his heart right. And so that fish vomits him back up on land. He goes into the wicked, evil Assyrian city of Nineveh, and he preaches and says, in 40 days, this is, you're going to be overthrown. This is not going to end well for you. And over 100,000 people repent. Okay, they, they turn from their evil ways and they say, no, 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 we have to get on board. And so they all change their ways. They, they go into mourning, they declare a fast, for any prophet, this is as good as life could have ever gotten, okay? Normally, as a prophet, nobody does anything that you say, let alone hundreds of thousands of pagan people, right? If, if you could ask for a success story of a prophet, Jonah has the best, okay? There's nobody else in the Bible that has as much success as he does in walking into a place and delivering God's words, but not 
Jonah, right? Jonah can't be happy because he's just the worst. Okay, chapter four is the best example of just how awful this guy is that we have, okay? Chapters one through three, yeah, great examples of how bad he is. Chapter four puts them to shame. And so let's just walk through the story together. Okay, verse, verse one and two, it says, but to Jonah, remember, God has said they repented, so I'm not going to destroy the city, right? They repented, I'm gonna show grace. I love the Ninevites now. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. What a horrible thing, God. Right, I knew you were gracious and loving, and we actually get, we get some backstory here. This little conversation that happened apparently in chapter one, Jonah doesn't tell us this in chapter one. We get some details that we don't get. Jonah doesn't just book a ticket to, to Tarshish. He, he has a conversation with God and he says, no, I'm not going there because you love people like the Ninevites, and I don't want anything good to happen to them. Jonah exposes he he has a nationalistic heart, right? He wants good things to happen for the nation of Israel, and that's it. Anything good that could happen to a foreigner, that is a bad thing for him. He has a heart that is centered all around the, the Jewish ethnic state of Israel. He wants nothing good to happen for these Assyrians, and he knows that God is a compassionate, gracious God. And for something good to happen to the Assyrians, that would be bad for him. And so we find out that Jonah didn't just want to be afraid of the Assyrians, he was afraid that something good could happen to the Assyrians. So verse three, we see just where he's at. He says, now Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Okay, let's just, let's just remember again. 120,000 people just repented from evil to turn towards God. And Jonah's response is, please God, kill me. It, it would be better for me to die than to have to live in this awful situation of over 100,000 people turning to you. What prophet says that? I think it goes beyond nationalism for Jonah. I think there's a whole bunch of pride there, right? Because Jonah has just walked through this city and he has said 40 days and you are gonna be overthrown. Now what's gonna happen in 40 days? Nothing. And so who is going to look like an idiot? Jonah. You said this, this was gonna happen. You said we were gonna be overthrown and Jonah wants his words to come true. Right, it's not just a hatred for the Assyrian people. It is a, a proud anger that gets him in the place that he is. God comes back to Jonah, but the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? And that's an important question. And you're gonna hear it again. God asks, is it right for you to be angry. And he's asking this question, and Jonah can't see outside of his own little circle, 
right? He, he is full-blown toddler right now, okay? If, if you've ever negotiated with terrorists, I mean toddlers, um, you know that, that they, they have no one's concern involved other than their own. And so God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah answers by, by not answering. Jonah had gone out and sat down in a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Right? God asked Jonah the direct question, is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah has more important things to do. What could be more important than answering a direct question from the Lord Almighty? Throwing a temper tantrum. He decides, let's, like, let's also think about this. Okay, He spent three days in Nineveh. Spent three days preaching, sees everybody respond, and he would rather spend the next 37 days in a makeshift lean-to outside of the city than have to spend one more moment with these Assyrians. How much do you have to hate people to be in the place that Jonah is? And so he goes out and he throws his little temper tantrum and, and I, I'm sure that he's sitting there outside of the city thinking, I gotta watch how this plays out, right? And I can't be there because if, if 40 days happens and, and they don't get destroyed, I'm gonna look like an idiot, but there's no way these guys are gonna keep it real for the next 40 days, right? This is all a show and, and they're gonna get what's coming to them anyway. And so I'm just gonna sit out here and I'm gonna wait for it. And so while Jonah is sitting outside, Something interesting happens in the midst of his temper tantrum. It says, then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. Just, I think Jonah was bald, okay? Because <laughs> the shade is for his head, right? Specifically for his head, no other part of his body. And as someone who is hair challenged, um, you're really concerned about the shade for your head more than any other part of your body. So anyway, um, but... So, give shade for his head to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. This is now the second time that Jonah has declared, post seeing an entire city give their lives to God, that it would be better for him to be dead than have to endure this situation. And I find this plant so fascinating because it's this, this little plant that miraculously grows, and we have no idea what type of plant it is, but it, but it miraculously grows in a day so big that it can give shade to Jonah. And Jonah has nothing to do with the growing of this plant, right? There were no seeds put in the ground. There was no cultivation done by Jonah. It just by chance comes up out of nowhere. And Jonah is so happy that he has this plant. He thinks it's his plant. And then he is so sad when the plant goes away. And we see a whole other facet of the brokenness of Jonah. Jonah loves comfort. Jonah loves the benefits that God provides. Jonah loves all of the things that God can give him, and he's completely disconnected from the role that God has in providing them. 
He has totally forgotten that that plant came from God. Then the plant withers, and that's also as a result of God's sovereignty. And Jonah decides that this is the most miserable thing that could have possibly happened. Note, he's exactly in the same situation that he was the day before. Nothing has changed other than he had a plant for a day. Yet he's sure that this is as bad as it can possibly get. So Jonah cries out to God, says, it's better for me to be dead than to be alive. God answers, but God asks Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Okay, this time, he doesn't ignore God. He answers God directly back and says, no, it is okay for me to be angry. Right? Jonah is now at a place where he knows how God should work so well that he's ready to tell God how he should be operating. Jonah knows how awful these Assyrians are. He knows that God shouldn't be showing them forgiveness. He knows that God should have allowed him to look like the guy who knew it all and destroy this place in 40 days. Jonah knows that God should have left the plant. Jonah knows all of it. And he's ready to tell God all the ways that God should have acted in his circumstances. So God answers Jonah back. The Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you didn't tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. Real quick, that's how the book of Jonah ends. There's nothing else. We don't get any more of the story. You wanna talk about nails on a chalkboard for an ending of a book of the Bible. We end with God saying to Jonah, Let's look at your heart. You care more about this little plant that you had nothing to do with than you do 120,000 men, women, and children and their animals. Seriously, Jonah. Jonah is the worst. Unless he's not. Because here's the thing that Jonah did. Jonah wrote down his story. I don't know about you, this is not the story that I am going to leave for my children to read. This is not the story that I want their children to hear. This is not the story that I want associated with me for generations. But Jonah wrote it down. And he attaches his name to it. And maybe he says, I was just the worst so that you don't have to be. Because here's here's the problem with Jonah 4. And this is the problem with the whole book of Jonah is that it's really absurd and funny until it becomes a mirror. And Jonah 4 is not as fun to read when I become Jonah in verse three. 
right? When I, when I become Jonah, who has a very closed nationalistic worldview in which I only want good things to happen for me and people that I identify with, how dare God have compassion on a foreigner or someone who is outside of my circle? Is it right for you to be angry about that? Right, Jonah is, is really fun to read until I find myself as Jonah 3. And I know just how awful the Assyrians are. I know just how awful that coworker is. I know just how ridiculous that family member is. And I'm sure of how God should act in that situation. And I know exactly what is right. And it is way better for me to die than have to deal with that mess. And God says, is it right for you to be angry? Maybe Jonah isn't as bad as we think he is. Maybe he was there. But at some point in his life, he decided somebody needs to hear this. Because if they don't hear it, they might end up like me in chapter four, verse nine. Right, that's, that's the Jonah that has a heart that is so hardened and concerned with the things that give him comfort. And he's saying, you gotta be careful because it's so easy for you to end up concerned about the things that make you comfortable in this life. Your career, your house, your status, your health, your perfect kids, the image of the perfect kids that you try to put out, the number of followers you have, the vacations you take, the vehicles you drive. Those are the things that I am so concerned with. And I feel entitled to them. They're mine. And we completely forget the only reason you have those because they were a gift from God. And how on earth can you care more about that than the welfare of millions of people who are outside of the same gifts that you have? There's a great city, Nineveh, that's hundreds of thousands of people and they don't get me at all. Is it really right for you to be angry about the plant? That's not fun. That's not fun to think about. It's not fun to be Jonah. Right? And the biggest problem with Jonah is his heart. And really, we find out more about Jonah's heart when he's being obedient to God than when he's being disobedient, right? We don't really get to peel back all the layers of what's going on in Jonah's heart until after he's gone to Nineveh and he did exactly what he was supposed to do. And here's the reality. Religion is so dangerous, because it is so easy to wrap up our awful hearts in religious action, right? If I know the right things to do, if I know the right words to say, 
if I know how to dress correctly and, and show up at the right times and, 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 and raise my hands and close my eyes and do all, like if I can do all the right stuff that makes me look like a man of God, I don't have to show anyone my real heart. And I can be doing all the right things and my heart can be awful. See, being a prophet, I, I don't know that it really is a benefit to Jonah because Jonah just knows all the ways to disguise the bitter, nationalistic, racist self that doesn't want anything good to happen to the Assyrians. Right? We can start to know all about God and start to know about him so well that we begin to think we know exactly how he should act. That's the most dangerous place that Jonah gets to is when he's ready to tell God all the ways that God should be God. If you have ever reversed roles with God, you're in a really, really dangerous, bad place. Anytime that I find myself ready to tell God how he should act, I'm usually really concerned about something like a plant. And I am totally blind to something as big as Nineveh that he has his eyes on. The reality is every single one of us at some point was Nineveh. We were, we were morally bankrupt, unable to help ourselves. Okay, and maybe, maybe you were an Assyrian, which is just as bad as a people group could be in the ancient Mesopotamian world. Maybe, maybe you were just fine, as you thought. Maybe you were doing all the right things. Okay, but here's the deal. Convicted felons and church ladies are both Ninevites. Okay, and in our self-righteous, religious minds, we can, we can create this hierarchy that determines if I haven't done these things, I'm okay, and if I, if I have, I'm not. Right, and, and we're all responsible for our choices, and so if I've made better choices, that puts me in a better standing. Addicts, people who have made decisions, they, they've made their choices, they get what they get. I'm gonna do the best that I can, and hopefully that's enough. You know where that leaves you? It still leaves you wondering, is it enough? That method of thinking, it's, it's moralistic therapeutic deism is a sociological term. This idea there is a God, and as long as I don't screw up too bad, he loves me, and so he's gonna send me to heaven. Problem is, that's not how the gospel works. It's not how the story of Jonah works. It's not how the story of Jesus works. Jesus entered our story, lived a perfect life, died on a cross in our place so that we could have new life, new life that happens in a kingdom that operates very different from this world. Matthew 20, Jesus would tell a story about this kingdom. He's trying to describe how it works to people. And he talks about a landowner 
guy who owned a vineyard, and it was harvest time. And he needed workers to, to collect the harvest. And so he goes out at 6 o'clock in the morning, and he finds some guys who will work, and, and they agree he'll pay them 150 bucks for the day's work. It's a really big harvest, and so he needs more people. So at 9 o'clock in the morning, he goes back, and he finds more people to work. He says, hey, come work for me for a day. So they do. He goes back at noon and gets more people. He goes back at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and he gets more people. At 5 o'clock, he goes and he gets more workers. And all of them agree they'll come and work for him for the day. At 6 o'clock, he calls it quits. He says, come on in. And he lines everybody up for payment. And the people who started working at five are the ones that he pays first. He hands them $150. People who started working at three, he hands them 150 bucks. Noon, 150. Nine, 150. And as you're hearing that story, you have one of two reactions. The first is, man, that is awesome for those guys who started working at five. The other reaction is, man, that is really unfair for those guys who start at 6 o'clock in the morning. If that's your reaction, you were in agreement with the guys who started working at 6. Jesus says they, they start grumbling, complaining, this is not fair. And the landowner turns to the guys who've been there all day. And he says, is it right for you to be angry? I don't know if you've heard that question today. He says, did we not make a deal where this is what I was gonna pay you for a day's work? I'm keeping my end of the deal. Is it your money for you to be mad about that I gave it to those other workers? Is it right for you to be mad because I'm generous? See, that's how the kingdom of God works. You can show up at five o'clock or you can show up at six o'clock. The gift is exactly the same. The gift is freedom. Here's the thing, you didn't earn it. You're not the owner, you're not the one who gets to give out the gift. That gift was earned on a cross. And so the person who earned it gets to decide how it's handed out. And that's either really, really good news for you or it's something that your heart needs to recognize as a plan. Right, because, because here's the deal. Regardless of what you have done, there is a gift that is available to you today. No matter what choices you have or have not made, the invitation is still open. God still loves Nineveh. Regardless of what any religious or self-righteous or churchy person wants to say, God loves Nineveh. And if the Ninevite shows up at five o'clock, he's still in. She is still welcome in the kingdom of God. 
And so if you've never taken God up on that gift, or you've believed a bunch of lies that say that gift isn't really for you, I want you to hear something different. And maybe you're just showing up, literally, maybe you just showed up this morning to make somebody happy or to get out of the heat. You're still welcome. And maybe you said yes to that gift a long time ago. Maybe you need to remember what it was like when you did say yes. Because you were a Ninevite. Maybe you need to remember that it's not you who gets to give out the gifts. It's you who gets to tell the world about the gift that's available. May the kingdom come through God's people. May the kingdom come to people like them. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving Nineveh. Thank you for loving Jonah. Thank you for loving us when we are Nineveh and when we are Jonah. Lord, I pray that we would recognize all of the plants that have grown up in our lives that we are so happy about that aren't really ours at all. Lord, will we find a source of happiness that is you and you alone? Or would you give us the eyes to see our world through your lenses? And may this world be transformed by that grace. May we see everyone with the same eyes that you do. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room that does not know that grace. I pray for anyone who hasn't said yes to that gift yet. Lord, may they take you up on it. God, whatever hour in the day it is, may they say yes. Thank you for being the God who saves, the God who rescues, the God who transforms. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. 